Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, distinguished members of the Royal Irish Academy and, and friends. Not that you're not all friends or all distinguished, but I feel I should cover those categories. <laughs> um, I would like to say, to begin by saying thank you also uh, to Siobhan for her very kind invitation to me to come here this afternoon. I'm conscious of the honour that that is. And I'm also conscious that it is an honour for me um, to speak about the distinguished scholar who is the subject of the Academy's current exhibition, Dr. Françoise Henri. Françoise Henri was a brilliant student, a pioneering researcher, a scholar of international renown, and she was a member of this august Academy. In fact, her nomination certificate, dated in January 1949 and signed by some very well-known scholars of Irish history, language and antiquities, is in the first display case of the exhibition. This exhibition not only documents uh, Dr. Henri's research in Ireland and beyond, in the last case you'll see some pieces that relate to Sweden as well as to Scotland, uh, and the islands uh, to the north of Scotland, allows us to detect something of the indomitable spirit, which was one of Francois Henri's personality traits. In this paper, I will be concerned mainly with the role Francois Henri played in bringing the study of the history of art at an academic level to Ireland. By examining her own formation, I hope to show that the quality of her teaching and of the programs of study she established here left us the beneficiaries of the best education that France, the world leader in the field at that time, had to offer. In speaking about her, I do so with all the admiration and respect that the quality and extent of her scholarly achievements demand of a former pupil and junior colleague. I'm also aware of how great was my own good fortune to have been, so to speak, in the right place at the right time, and so to have been able to accept her invitation in 1967 to join her recently formed Department of the History of European Painting in University College Dublin as an assistant. For me, being in the right place at the right time had started in June 1963. I had just finished a year in Rome on an Italian government scholarship and my parents had decided that it would be a good idea for us to meet up in Florence. So we did that. And then I went to visit Siena. And I took this photograph that you can see uh, of the facade and south side of the part of the south side of the cathedral. It was only many months, indeed years later, that I realized that I had done the impossible. I had taken a photograph of Françoise Henri. 
Dr. Henri <laughs> was a very modest, retiring person. She would never willingly have her photograph taken. But at that stage, she did not know me, nor did I know her. I knew of her since my time as a student of French at UCD, when Professor Louis Roach had spoken about her and about the lectures she was giving, but I had never met her, nor indeed had I ever seen her. In November 1963, I began to attend the Percy Griffith Lectures in UCD. And that was the beginning of a whole new world for me, a new field of study, and eventually a new career. So this, although I didn't realize it at the time, was a privileged moment, and it's where I would like to begin today. In this photograph, Francoise Henri was 61 years old. As we have seen, she was a distinguished archaeologist and art historian. As an archaeologist, she had specialized in early Christian and medieval Irish art, and she was a member of this academy. As an art historian, she was lecturing in the history of European painting in University College Dublin, and she was a member of the Board of Governors and Guardians of the National Gallery of Ireland. As a scholar, she had an impressively long list of publications to her name, the most recent of which she had just completed, a three-volume work, L'Art Irlandais, published in that year, 1963 and into 1964, by the Zodiac uh, sign at the Burgundian Abbey of La Pierre Quivir. And in the next 20 years or so of her life to look forward, she was about to establish a new department in University College Dublin to bring the history of art, uh, the teaching of the history of art, uh, up to a degree level, a first in this country. As to what she was doing in Siena, I would later come to know that before she embarked on giving a lecture or a series of lectures or a tutorial, she would first of all travel to wherever it took to see the original work of art. She would also do extensive reading around the subject. The subject here, of course, was the great Maestà altarpiece by Duccio di Boninsegna in the Cathedral Museum from which she was coming, just to the right out of that picture. The late Hilary Richardson wrote a full and authoritative account of the life and work of Françoise Henri in her entry in the Royal Irish Academy's Dictionary of Irish Biography. I cannot add any facts to what Hilary wrote, but I want to tease out two elements of what she wrote in order to throw light on that strand of Dr. Henri's career that concerns us here her work in establishing the teaching of art history at the university level in this country. So element one, her family background. Francoise Henri was born 
in Paris on the 16th of June, 1902, into a family in which scholarship and writing, works of art, and conversation about art and artists were part of daily life. Her father, René Henri, was a political scientist. He held a doctorate in law from the University of Paris and had a particular interest in the international political questions of his day, especially in what was called <clears throat> in the years before the First World War, the Austrian question. One of his books, for he wrote several, entitled Germany, France and the Austrian Question, was published in 1903, the year after Francoise was born. More important in terms of formative influences upon her were her mother and her mother's own family background in a Swiss Protestant milieu. Francoise Henri's mother was Jeanne Clément, daughter of Charles Clément, an art critic, theologian, and historian of quite extraordinary erudition, who was immensely influential in his own time and left a huge body of published and archival material behind him when he died in 1887. His study of Théodore Géricault consisting of a biography and catalogue raisonné, is still the basic study of that artist, even today. Particularly important for Françoise was Clément's friendship with his compatriot, the Swiss painter Charles Dler, whose name is familiar to us all, as the painter in whose studio the young Basile, Monet, Renoir and, and Sisley first met in 1862. Dler named Charles Clément executor of his will and left the entire contents of his studio to him. The result was that Françoise Henri's grandmother's home in Paris, where Françoise spent much of her time as a child, was full of paintings, drawings, prints, as well as books about paintings and painters. So Francois Henri's family milieu was therefore one of scholarship and art. And those continue to be the two pillars of her life, scholarship and art. Second element I want to comment on is her education, her formal education, that is. Francoise received her secondary schooling in Paris during the war years of 1914 to 1918, when the terrible trench warfare was raging in the north of France and Belgium, and indeed when, in 1918, Paris was bombarded by that enormous gun called Big Bertha. Her school was a new establishment, the Lycée Molière, a state school for girls. From there, she went on to third level at both the Sorbonne and the École du Louvre. At the Sorbonne, she enrolled as a student of history of art and studied first under Émile Malle, 
And then, after Mal had been appointed director of the French school at Rome in 1923, under his successor, Henri Faucillon. Both of those men were brilliant scholars, and both had done pioneering work in their fields. Émile Mal's work was in the area of religious art in medieval France. In deciphering the symbolism and the iconography of the sculpture and the stained glass of the Gothic cathedrals, and relating them to the writings of the medieval theologians, in particular Vincent of Beauvais, he was opening up new fields of study and research. Émile Mal's doctoral thesis on religious art in France in the 13th century was published in three editions. Its third edition was translated into English as The Gothic Image by Dora Nussi. And I well remember that for us students in Dr. Henri's new department in UCD, it was required reading. Not only that, we were expected to own a copy of it. Henri Faucillon, too, in his studies of medieval art in France, especially of the Romanesque, was doing pioneering work. He was tracing the development of form in art, attending therefore to the aesthetic quality of a work of art, looking at it not merely as a document with a date and a place of origin attached to it. Faucillon's insistence on the work of art itself as the starting point of research was fundamentally important to the students he taught, including Françoise Henri. It was an approach that differed radically from what he called the Chartiste approach, the Chartiste being the alumni of the École des Chartes, which had been founded in 1821, whose training was rigorously historical, paleographic, factual, rather than aesthetic. Faucillon's approach to the history of art was summed up later in 1941 by Charles Sterling, a fellow pupil with Françoise Henri, when he wrote in La Peinture Française, Les Peintres du Moyen-Âge, I quote, the history of art begins with the work of art. Another pupil, Louis Grodeschi, said, research is first of all the study of the work of art itself, in itself, in its forms, in its structures, in its technique, in its raw materials. This was the approach that Françoise Henri brought to us. She would often say in front of a painting, it feels like, for example, it feels Italian or it feels like the work of so-and-so. She too was attentive to the aesthetic aspect of a work of art, as well as to its objective documentary values. At the same time as uh, she was a student at the Sorbonne, Françoise Henri attended lectures at the École du Louvre. The École du Louvre, the Louvre School, 
was still a relatively young institution when Francois Henri began attending there. The school's mission was, and is, and I quote, to extract from the collections, that is the national collections of France, for the instruction of the public, the knowledge they contain, and to train curators, heads of mission, and excavators. The school is therefore closely connected to the nationwide network of national museums in France, particularly, as its name suggests, to the Louvre Museum, in which it is physically housed. It gave and continues to give its students opportunities to hear the lectures of specialists and experts who work directly with the material in which they have specialized, and to have lectures in front of and in the presence of the works themselves. It also gives opportunities indeed for work and eventually a career in the museum service. In Ireland, Francois Henri would use the model of the Ecole du Louvre in setting up in University College Dublin first the Persa Griffith Lectures and then the degree course. At the Ecole du Louvre, Francois Henri attended lectures in uh, modern art, the art of prehistoric France, and Celtic art. On modern art, she heard the then young Robert Ray, or Robert Ray. She always had an interest in modern art, and from Robert Ray, she gained a systematized knowledge of the art of her own time and of the recent past. In Ireland, she numbered Evie Hone, Mainie Jellett, Sarah Purser, and Donal O'Marahu among her friends and acquaintances and owned work by them. She also heard the lectures of André Michel. André Michel was an older scholar, born in 1853. At the École du Louvre, he taught a course in the general history of art, Histoire générale de l'art. In 1920, when François Henri was a student there, that course became the basic core course of the programme of studies in the École du Louvre. Also, from 1905 to 1918, André Michel was publishing a multi-volume study of the history of art from the early Christian period to the 20th century. The work would eventually reach 18 volumes, the last one published in 1929 after his death. Françoise Henri had a full set of those volumes, the Histoire de l'Art d'André Michel. In their brown binding, they were part of the core stock of books in the reading room of the department at UCD. Two other names must be mentioned, Salomon Reynac and Henri Hubert. Salomon Reynac had been co-founder of the École du Louvre in 1882 and was also head of the Museum of National Antiquities 
à Saint-Germain-en-Laye. Henri Hubert was a specialist in prehistoric and proto-historic France and adjunct curator at the Museum of Saint-Germain-en-Laye. Under his direction, Françoise prepared her thesis on a group of burial mounds in Burgundy and was also employed, though without pay, as a cataloguer of antiquities at Saint-Germain-en-Laye. She was, in the words of Laurent Olivier, in an article published in 2015, destined to follow in the footsteps of Henri Hubert and eventually become director at Saint-Germain-en-Laye. Laurent Olivier's article is entitled Francois Henri and the Museum of National Antiquities, French Scholarship's Missed Opportunity. La chance manquée de la recherche française. We have come to the turning point of Francois Henri's career. She graduated from the Ecole du Louvre in 1927 and from the Sorbonne in 1932. But she had already become captivated by what would become her life's work, the study of the ancient art of Ireland. One may legitimately lament the loss to France of Francoise Henri's brilliance as researcher and scholar, but now we turn with gratitude to see how Ireland was the beneficiary of those gifts through her work at University College Dublin. Francoise Henri's connection with UCD began in 1932 while she was still carrying out research for her doctoral thesis at the Sorbonne. In that year, she was appointed assistant in the Department of French by the professor Roger Chauviere, who incidentally was the first professor of French in what was then still quite a new institution. The National University of Ireland, after all, was founded by the Irish Universities Act of 1908 and the building in which they were all working dated only from 1914 to 1916, so it was a relatively new institution. Two years later, in the academic year 1934-35, Dr. Henri began lecturing in history of art, also in UCD, and so we come to the Purser Griffith Lectures. I have no doubt that the origins of the Purser Griffith course are by now well known, but it will be no harm to recall them briefly here. We have already seen that among the acquaintances and friends Francoise Henri had made through her interest in the work of contemporary artists was the painter and art activist Sarah Purser. Sarah Purser was a member of the Board of Governors and Guardians of the National Gallery of Ireland and as such was well acquainted with the process of finding and appointing gallery staff. In 1934 she decided that what was needed in Ireland was a body of people with a knowledge of the history of art from among whom 
those appointments could be made. She decided that the best way to fill this need was to fund a scholarship to be used abroad. And the scholarship would be awarded annually on the results of an examination. She persuaded her cousin, the distinguished civil engineer, Sir John Griffith, to join her in establishing the scholarship fund, the income from which would provide the traveling scholarship and a prize to the two candidates who formed, performed best at the examination. Sarah Purser, through her extended family, had connections with Trinity College. But Francois Henri, with her university college connections, succeeded in bringing it about that the examination would be shared by TCD and UCD. It would be conducted in alternate years in the two universities, beginning in June 1935 with TCD. I have an early flyer for the scholarship which begins, Miss Sarah Purser and Sir John Purser Griffith desiring to encourage the study of the history of art and to assist persons who intend to take up this study as a career gave £1,000 each, and so on. Now, Francois Henri was in on this scheme from the very beginning. In his book on Sarah Purser, Dr. John O'Grady quotes a letter dated the 22nd of January, 1935, from Miss Purser to Francoise, which reads, Dear Mademoiselle Henri, didn't we talk of your kindly coming round one evening and our discussing art teaching and perhaps more amusing things? How about Thursday? I shall be having a bit of supper at seven. If you would join me, we would sit over the fire. How cold it is. Just ourselves, so no dress, please. <laughs> a few days later, in another letter, also, of course, this is drawn from Dr. O'Grady's book. She wrote, I just write to tell you that Mrs. Lawrenson, the lady I spoke to you of, who gives demonstrations in fresco painting and is now executing a considerable order at the Franciscan Church in Athlone, is there today. And then she gives uh, instructions about how to get in touch with her. So already, Francois Henri was drawing up a program of studies, including the technique lectures, as the reference to fresco painting demonstrates. It only required an invitation from the president of UCD, Dr. Dennis Coffey, to Francois Henri to give a course of lectures in preparation for the examination, and the Purser Griffith lectures were underway. From the beginning, the Purser Griffith lectures consisted of two strands running parallel. One, the general history of art. Where did we hear that before? And two, techniques. The lectures on the general history of art covered the period 1200 to about 1900 and were given as a two-year cycle. In the first year of the cycle, they reached a date around the year 1500. In the second year, they concluded in 1926 with the death of Claude Monet. Who 
whom, incidentally, Francoise Henri remembered seeing uh, in the company of Clemenceau. Extraordinary to hear these wonderful names. The technique lectures covered fresco painting, tempera and oil, watercolour, gouache and pastel, printmaking, including woodcuts, engraving and etching, and they concluded with at least two, and usually three, sometimes four lectures on the conservation of paintings. Now that is exactly what the École du Louvre was offering its students. Françoise Henri also offered her students tutorials in the National Gallery in front of real paintings, not just reproductions. Another of the staple experiences offered by the École du Louvre. Clearly, if a student attended these courses regularly, he or she would at least have a good grounding in the history of art. More would be needed to somebody acquiring to become a curator in the National Gallery. But if that student won the scholarship, they could go, say, to Italy for at least a month by 1935 prices and visit museums and galleries and churches in Florence, Milan, Venice, Rome. It was a marvelous opportunity. The scholarship examination, no matter whether it was conducted in TCD or UCD, consisted of a paper, that is an exam, in the general history of art, and an oral exam in the gallery. The oral exam, or VIVA, was described as a practical test in identifying period, author, technique, and condition of paintings. In other words, a tutorial in the gallery with the candidate doing the talking and the examiner taking notes. During Francoise Henri's time, three successive directors of the National Gallery participated in conducting this oral. George Furlong, Thomas McGreevy, and James White. It was all modelled, as we can see, on the École du Louvre. Now, there are two points that I want to emphasise about the Percy Griffith Lectures. The first is that from the beginning, the lectures and tutorials were given in University College Dublin. They were a uniquely UCD initiative because that's where Francoise Henri was a member of staff. And thanks are due to Dennis Coffey, president of UCD, as well as to Francoise Henri for making them possible. There has sometimes been a lack of clarity about this, arising from the fact that the scholarship examination was held in alternate years in TCD and UCD, but the Persegrivet lectures were held every year and always in UCD. They were organized and delivered by Francoise Henri. They are part of Francoise Henri's legacy, both to UCD and to the country as a whole. When they began in the academic year 1934-35, they were the first and only course in the history of art in Ireland. The second point I want to emphasize is that from the beginning, 
up to the mid-1980s, the lectures and tutorials were given free of charge. It was not necessary either to be a student of the college in order to attend them. They were open to any member of the public who wished to attend. And on this point too, credit must be given to UCD. There was a fee, of course, to enter for the, examina the examination, no matter whether it was being held in Trinity or University College, but that fee was very small. So let's look now at the degree course. In the academic year 1965 to 66, Francois Henri began teaching courses in preparation for the degree of BA honors in history of European painting. The history of European painting was to be taken in conjunction with one of a list of other subjects from the arts syllabus, history, archaeology, or a European language. In October 1967, the degree was awarded for the first time. Also in 1967, the first group of first-year students began their course. And again, there was a strong influence from the École du Louvre in that the first years were to attend the lectures in the general history of European painting being given as the Persa Griffith course. Also, there were special tutorials for first years and these alternated between the National Gallery and the department. The department, in inverted commas, at that time, consisted of one room. Speaking to somebody here before the lecture, and she said, I remember that room. Uh, she revisited it, and it seemed very small. It had looked much bigger, but believe me, it wasn't big. In that one room, we prepared our lectures and tutorials, and that's where the tutorials were given, and that's where Dr. Henri delivered her own lectures. Most important of all, though, that room was our reading room. Françoise Henri began transferring her books to that room so that there would be adequate reading <coughs> material for the students. <coughs> While we were still in Earlsford Terrace, Dr. Henri gave two amazing series of lectures one of, I think, six lectures on Byzantine art, the other on the Valois courts. And this is where her indomitable spirit is seen again. For the Byzantine lectures, she traveled in her little Fiat 500 through Turkey and Yugoslavia. And in order to be able to see the mosaics and frescoes properly in the churches, she brought a stepladder with her. She took out the back seat of her car and put in the ladder, and off she went. Another marvelous series of lectures was on iconography, yet another on the Baroque and Rococo. And that had been prepared by travels to Würzburg and other places in southern Germany, Austria, as well as Italy and within France. Besides these mammoth lectures on what she called trends, 
there were lectures on sites. In these, a large palace, maybe Versailles, Fontainebleau, or the Escorial, or a city, Ravenna, Mantua, Ubino, would be studied in all its aspects. The history of the place, of the building, a study of its contents, the history of the family concerned, or of the successive kings or princes or whatever. Patronage, social history, art history, all came under scrutiny. There were also lectures on individual painters. Here she was assisted by Nancy Dunchak. I remember Nancy lecturing on Caravaggio and his followers, and on Poussin. Nancy also lectured on Velázquez, but not before Dr. Henri had brought her all over Spain, as far as I could make out, in the same Fiat 500 in the previous Christmas holidays. As for the approach to art history, it was the same as that of Fossillon. Begin with the picture, the object itself. Each student had to make a presentation in front of a real painting in the gallery. The approach had to be both factual and aesthetic, but never waffly. There were also essays to be written, and they were annotated quite critically when we got them back. No sweeping generalizations were tolerated. Stick to the point was the rule. No nonsense either, like that art advances as it goes along. When preparing for this talk today, I found an old essay of my own on uh, Italian and Flemish painting, 1400 to 1450. In it, I dared to use the word advanced. Dr. Henri's comments in Red Biro include the only reference I have ever heard or knew her to make to her distinguished grandfather. She wrote, I strongly dislike your use of advance, advanced. The Renaissance does not represent an ideal point of perfection, though some critics of 70 or 80 years ago still thought so. Your tone reminds me abominably of that of my grandfather. <laughs> who was born about 1820. <clears throat> so it wasn't exactly my finest hour. Another element of the course that linked in with the École du Louvre was the requirement to study two other European languages, from German, uh, French, Spanish, or Italian, one in second year <clears throat> and the other in third year and there was a test to be passed at the end of the year. In 1970, we moved out to Belfield <clears throat> to much better facilities. Chief among them was the reading room. That reading room was open to students from 10 a.m. to 1 o'clock, from 2.30 to 5.30, and from 7 to 10. Excellent, except that we, Dr. Henri, Dr. Donchak, Dr. O'Grady, and I uh, had to supervise the room 
in three-hour stints every day, including Saturday mornings. One of my slots was Friday night from 7 to 10. There was only one student in third year that year, one of the years, and he used to come in at 7, leave his coat on a chair and go off with himself. He would return at 10, smile slightly apologetically at me and bid me good night. So I have the distinction of having minded his coat every Friday night for an entire academic year. Uh, it's altogether fitting that the reading room is now called the Francoise Henri reading room. Apart from the fact of her having founded it, it contains most of her books. That's the core of it, although of course it has expanded enormously uh, since her time. The trouble about a lecture like this is that it can become anecdotal and go on for much too long. My aim was to show how Francois Henri launched in Ireland at University College Dublin the academic study of art history and that the model she used was the best available anywhere at that, at that time, the Ecole du Louvre. I hope that in the process I have contributed at least something towards a history of art history in Ireland.